This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hey up, it's the No Near Never podcast. With your host, Jamie Smith. Hello and welcome to this week's Non and Ever podcast. I'm Jamie Smith and Kevin, James and Adam are joining me this week to talk about our defeat QPR at the weekend at Warsaw to some reaction to tonight's FA Cup draw. Um, but we'll start off by talking about QPR. Burnley defeated 2-0 at QPR. Pretty disappointing result, although it was quite an even game. Um, James, how disappointing is it to, to go to a relegation rival and come away with a 2-0 loss? Yeah, it's it's really disappointing, you know, especially after the the little run we'd had. And you obviously you see the result Newcastle got on Saturday, which makes what happened Tuesday night look even better. Um, so to then go to QPR and a side that I I think look pretty poor to be honest, um, and not get something is obviously a big knock for our survival hopes. Especially the fact that it's it's QPR as well. I mean, I I thought it was a bit too early to be talking about it being a six pointer, but. Probably was really. We were both in the bottom three at the start of the day, and they got out as a result. It's absolutely massive for them, and hopefully, it's not going to be too much of a of a of a blow to our confidence after our recent good run. One of those. It was one of those that was. Uh, it was built up by like Harry Redknapp and things, and you would almost expect us to win it because we 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 don't listen to the hype. Um, yeah, um, it seems like the the hype has worked in QPR's favour because we seem to be have been a bit a bit off the the boil. I mean, QPR's home record was strong. All their points so far this season have come at home, so they were probably quite confident of getting something. But Kevin, we will have been as well. We had four unbeaten, eight points from four. It, we just seemed a bit flat considering how well we've been playing recently. Um, yeah, definitely coming off um, by by far our, our strongest run, probably we'll have all seasons. I think um, the, the the our, our form in the the fixtures in the last few months have been probably the kindest run of games we'll, we'll get we'll get all season. So that's one of the best runs we, we might have. So a really good opportunity to go into a game full of confidence. And involve the last two games with draws, they're still decent draws. Um, I think both of those, um, Aston Villa and, and Newcastle, both won the, the next game. So certainly no pushovers. Um, 
that said, um, I said on last week's podcast that that the, the QPR were going to be dangerous, uh, and I think we've probably deserved more more points than we've got this season. We've had, we've had some uh, some good performances in big games, but just fallen short um, at the other end. Um, and I, I'd have been I'd have been happy with a draw and a, de- a defeat. Although it's against a relegation rival, a, a, a defeat on, on the road isn't the, the end of the world. Um, we need to we need we need to beat them in the in the home leg now. Um, and also, I think you, you look at the the way the first half went. We we probably could have um, could have scored. I think we've been we've lacked a clinical touch this season, um, which most of the time has been down to two out of form strikers. But I think there were two or three shots in that first half, which were maybe an inch at most away from from being goals. Um, and if one of those had gone in, that's that's, that's a game changer. Um, so I don't think it's the end of the world, and don't think it's anything to get too downbeat against. But obviously, um, the worst thing about it is probably QPR getting those three points as a, as a relegation rival. I think it, you're right about the, the lack of a clinical touch in front of goal. I mean, you, you look at the QPR goals, and they just seem so soft. The first one, they've got it into the box too easily, and then it's deflected overheat, and there's not that much they can do about that. But the second one... It's just really poor defensively, and Austin's left with a tapping in the box. And considering the quality of chances we created, I feel like we probably should have got something from it. I think the uh, I think the most disappointing thing about both goals is that there were so many Burnley players around the ball. The both the both goals, there were there were four or five Burnley players within a couple of yards from the ball, but nowhere near the player. I think you got the first one where. I don't. I don't know how we're giving the opposition so much space um, when there's so many defenders. But it's not like we've been caught on the break, um, and we've got players upfield. There were four. There were four or five defenders in the box, but none of them anywhere near the striker. Uh, and like I say, it's slightly unlucky. But it's hit me, uh, given um, he had no chance. The second one, again, four or five players around Austin, but no one watched him slip away. And especially someone like Austin, who most of the squad have played with, they should know that that's his thing. He loves to slip away. I um, should have been keeping an extra special eye on him, um, but he, he, he just slipped away so easily. And once he did that, it was a dead cert goal. So I think that's the most disappointing thing for me is that there was there were so many so many Burnley players around, but we didn't even come close to uh, to kind of getting a, a foot in the way. I think the second goal, though, I think the defenders in the middles. I don't think you can blame them too much because you, you've got to credit Austin for the movement as well. We know that's what he's all about, but. It's easier said than done to to mark him because that's that's the knack, isn't it? To to find the pocket of space. It's the second. I don't think it's particularly useful to play the blame game, but the, the clearance from Ben Mee is is substandard, I think. And if you're going to present a player of the quality of Isla at right back with a chance to cross, and you've got Austin in the middle, I think there's probably only one result there. Um, well, I think I think there are, there are, from what I from what I remember from my highlights, I think there's two players marking Austin, so surely. If you've got one of them needs to keep his eye, what if one keeps his eye on the ball, if one keeps his eye completely on Austin, at least until the ball comes in, then I, I, I understand that's that's what Austin does. But I think with our players knowing knowing all about him, I think we should have kept an eye on him a bit more than we did. It's like we, we weren't even watching him, and that's the worst thing you can do for for Austin. Um, I saw some complaints on Twitter after the game about Michael Keane's performance. Jamie, you were at the game. What what did you think of Keane? I thought he did all right. It's it's difficult to really assess Keane, I think, because if you wait for his chance for so long, and it, it's always tough to come into a, a side that's all otherwise settled. But 
Yeah, I, th- I think he's done okay. Probably no better than that. I don't think Duff was playing that well, apart from in the Stoke game, ironically, when he got injured. But I think he's slotted in okay. He made one one goal line clearance where he showed really good awareness to drop in when uh, Heaton looked like he was going to miss it and the ball came to him. So I think there's positive signs there, but it is early days and we do have to remember that he's still a young lad and it, you can't see... Shackle is having to lead him through the game a little bit, which hopefully isn't going to have too much of a negative impact on Shackle because he really needs to concentrate on his own game as well. But he is having to guide Keane in a way that he obviously doesn't with Duff because Duff's got so much experience. But I don't think he's done particularly poorly. I was a bit surprised to see some of those comments. Something else that a lot of people were talking about um, on Saturday afternoon, although I think it's died down a bit since then, with Austin's celebration... Um, James, have you got any problem at all with with Austin celebrating as much as he did? No, not really. To be honest, I don't really get the the fuss with people complaining about players celebrating against former teams. You know, maybe if it was someone like Wade Elliott, you know, who obviously spent a long time at Burnley and he scored the you know the goal at Wembley, then maybe you'd expect him not to celebrate. Or you know, someone who's a you know club legend, someone like a Robbie Blake or a, a Glenn Little, but. Charlie Austin, he wasn't really there that long in the grand scheme of things. And if you didn't celebrate against former teams, there'd be some players out there who could never celebrate. So um, I think it's a lot of fuss about nothing. I was a little bit embarrassed reading some of the comments about um, Austin's celebration, really. I mean, are we we really that sensitive that we we bother about um, a footballer celebrating a goal? Like like, like James said, he's got no real... um, is not that a strong affinity to Burnley. We didn't give him his, his big break. He didn't get to the Premier League with us. He he had uh, a, a decent year with us, and that's that's pretty much it. Um, and I think if it was either way around, and we uh, maybe Ashley Barnes didn't score, didn't celebrate against Barnsley or something like that, then uh, not Barnsley, Brighton, wherever we came from. <laughs> Barnes against Barnsley. <laughs> Barnsley just gets mixed up with everyone, don't we? Burnley, Barnsley, <laughs> Brighton. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think it was either way around. We'd be We'd we'd be disappointed, and it's one of those where I really, I think, I think if we'd have won, um, and Austin, if we'd won two one, Austin scored and just celebrated. I don't think anyone anyone would have cared. I think it was probably just a a way of venting a bit of frustration at the uh, at the defeat, probably. But yeah, it was, it was, it was nothing. It's yeah, it's nothing. Yeah, I agree with both of you. I think it's just something for for people to. It's it's a distraction, isn't it? I always say that when Burnley lose, it always seems to be the referee's fault, and it's just something else to talk about rather than highlight the the problems with the team. Um, speaking of problems with the team, I felt one of the the issues um, on Saturday was our set pieces, and this has been something that's been a weakness in the side for a while, really. Um, I think there's a stat that says you only actually score a goal from something like one in 50 corners. So they're not as great a chance as people think, but feels like about one in 500 corners for, for us. It dates back a long time, this we never score from corners joke. But the, the delivery is just so poor. And when you look at the players we've got in the team, there's some good crosses of a football in there. Jones is a good deliverer from set ball, set players, you would think. Trippier could cross the ball, Boyd can cross the ball, but seemingly you put the ball in the corner flag and they just can't beat the first man. It's so frustrating to watch. And we we talk on the podcast about fine margins quite a lot, and if you're not making anything of your set pieces, that's, that's an area where 
other teams can get an advantage on you, and especially when we've defended set pieces so badly. These are the areas where you have to look to get more from it, I think. James, have you got any idea why the set pieces have been so bad? It's it's almost like they don't practice them. It's bizarre. Uh, I'm not sure. I think it's been a, a problem for a little while now. Um, and we don't really seem to be changing. I think corners are particularly a big issue. And I noticed Kieran Trippier took a few on Saturday, which is unusual. Um, but I think it's you know it's something we do need to look at because so often those corners don't actually get past the first man, and if you don't get it in the box, you're not going to score from it, and it's a you know a waste of opportunity. The one chance we made from a corner was actually uh, Boyd's shot, Boyd's really good shot that Green saved, but that was because it was sort of half cleared. But I really can't think of an opportunity we've created all season just from a across from a corner that's then been a header a header on goal I just can't think of one I think I think um I think one of the one of the problems really is, is just personality but I don't think we've got many players who are hugely strong strong in the air um you've got um the fullbacks and more more attacking fullbacks and I, I don't think you can see Trippier and me winning many attacking headers um Shackle's a good header of a ball but he, he doesn't seem he's, he's he's come up with a, with a few goals. Um, I think especially with one in particular last season. He only he only scores at Ewood Shackle. Yeah, that's it. Um, I mean, you look through the midfield. I don't think you, you look at the likes of Jones, Marnie, Arfield, Boyd. Neither of them are players you're really going to think are going to come in at the, at the back post and, and thump one into the back of the net. Um, you perhaps look at the strikers, especially when we were playing one big strike, either either the Duke or, or Barnes. You'd expect them to maybe. Um, offer a little bit more in the air, um, and Ings has scored a few goals in the air as well. But beyond the strikers, I don't think anyone really in the, t- in the side who you'd think is a really big, big, big threat um, from, from from a corner. Um, you know, maybe if we if we we had somebody a big a big centre back who's going to who's a real threat in the air from corners, maybe that would make a difference. But uh, like I say, we've, we have got some deep. We've got decent crosses of ball. I, thought, I don't think other than Trippy, we've got Trippy and Wallace are probably our only good, outstanding crosses of a ball. Um, but we have got some decent d- deliverers in there, so I don't think that's a huge problem. I just, I just think it is that, that personnel. That's an interesting way of looking at it, but I think judging off Saturday, we we had more corners than normal, and it did stand out the fact that we didn't create a chance of naught from it but I think I think also a point to my also you could criticize that we're not maybe inventive enough we we yeah that's true especially under under Eddie Howe we we had a few different corner routines and we've tried a few short corners in this season but I think pretty much every single one has been unmitigated disaster um, there was one in the last match where we pretty much just passed it straight back to him that's happened a few times I think maybe we spent a bit of time on the on the, on the training ground Really putting some some work into some corner routines, which play into our strengths. Because at the moment we're, we're just playing traditional corners, which don't play into our strengths at all because we haven't got those players. Uh, so maybe we did try to be a bit more inventive and and do something on the floor a bit more, which doesn't involve playing it straight into the feet of the defenders, which ninety nine percent of our short corners do at the moment. I think that's fair, but I think when we've seen something different, we've seen a bit more invention. It's been um, it's been it's failed, like you say, and I think when that happens, you lose a bit of confidence in in doing it, and it makes you wonder if you need to be thinking about another another method. But you talk about personnel, though. You see, Michael Duff has been quite a strong defender in the air, I think, but 
he's never really caused any problems in opposition penalty areas or it's just like a mentality thing when the ball's there to be won he can win it but when it's in how a many, more attacking sense how many goals has Duff scored has Duff's been with us about 10 years he's scored about 2 goals I think so I can look it up right now but I'm going to guess it's going to be about 5 I remember one of them I can't remember many I do remember his first goal for Burnley was credited to him and it was nowhere near his goal at all so you okay. can tell one according of them. to according to soccer base, which I've just looked up live on the podcast, out of over three hundred games, pushing three fifty games, he scored eight goals. So we're looking at less than one a year. Um, interestingly, though, Michael Keane scored three in about eight games at the end of last season for Rovers. So maybe he's a bit more of a threat from set pieces. Maybe, <laughs> maybe he is. Some of the other defenders in the Premier League that score goals. Um, there was obviously Craig Dawson who we were linked with quite a lot. He's got a, a reputation for being a, a goal scoring defender and he's got a couple yeah, already. Yeah, he does remember, of course. Yeah, and there are there are a few defenders who score goals. There tend to be fullbacks who get forward, but Ivanovic has got a couple, Hangland's got a couple. It's, I do think it is an area where we can improve and they were particularly bad on Saturday, so I'd be disappointed if they're, if they're not working on them a bit more on the training ground because I, I do think you need to try and get the most out of your set pieces. It's not a very sexy way to score a goal, but they all count at the end of the day. And if you can get a couple of cheap ones, then it, it's all the better, surely. Um, another thing I wanted to, to raise about the, the QPR game was how big and strong and powerful all their players seemed to be. It was, it was almost men against boys in a, in a physical sense at times. Um, and it, it's not something I noticed when we played against them last season. James, looking at our team physically, there aren't that many big lads in there. And I just wonder how much of an impact that has in these games. Um, I'm not sure, really. I, I don't think any of our games, particularly this season, have been overly physical. Um, um, but... Uh, you know, I think maybe yeah, it does have a, maybe it has an effect occasionally. Maybe it's more of an issue for us on the wings, where I think if you're playing with Trippier and me, both of them are quite slightly built. Um, you know, and particularly if Trippier's not not the tallest of guys. Um, but I think overall, we don't lack too much toughness. I don't think. I don't think there's been that many physical games, and you've got people in the middle, sort of like Dean Marnie, who's not necessarily. Uh, you know the tallest guy but he definitely knows how to put himself about a bit Um, so I don't really see physicality as something we should be losing out on you've got to remember as well last season we we had a reputation as being a very physical side I don't think that was that wasn't because we were um, dirty it's because we we were we we were tough we were strong we really got into into teams faces and um, perhaps that was more more tactical than than again than than personnel but it can't drop away so much that we're, we're like I say, you, you said it was men against boys. We, we, if we were such a physical side last season, then, um, then I don't think it dropped away that, that much this year. And I, and I agree with James. I don't think there's been many games this season where we, we, we've looked particularly um, physically um, second best. No, I, I don't think it's been a problem overall. It's just something I noticed on, on Saturday. I think. Uh, James pointed out Trippy is not not the tallest, although for a fullback he's probably about average. But QPR had a particular tactic of, of Zamora positioning himself on on Trippier and just hitting him with diagonals all game, and Zamora won pretty much every single one that he'd expect. And I think after Saturday, 
any manager who's done the homework, who's got a striker of the size and, and aerial power of Zamora, is going to do the same. So we're going to have to come up with a way to combat that. And another QPR player I was really impressed with was Fur. He scored the first goal. It was a bit lucky with the goal, to be honest. But we don't have that sort of player in midfield. He's got the, the physical power. I mean, Marnie holds his own, but Fur was striding through our side. It was almost like a Yaya Torre. I'm not just saying that because he's, he's tall and black, but it reminded me of him the way he carried the ball and really drove at our defence. And we don't really have someone who can do that. And there were mismatches in other departments as well, I think. Carl Henry up against Marnie's a bigger, stronger player. At the back, they had Richard Dunn, who was absolutely outstanding. He was completely top draw. Considering we were laughing at him being linked with Burnley in the close season, we all thought it was ridiculous. He was really, really good on Saturday. It's just something I noticed. and uh, I don't know. It, it seemed a bit like a, a championship game in a way. It's easy to say that because it was two teams who were in the championship last year, but... It was quite a physical game, probably the most physical one we've had, and it was two sort of four four twos going at each other, and it just seemed like QPR had a little bit of a physical edge, and that maybe does make a, make a difference in these games. Um, in terms of form now, I think it's 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 surprising how quickly things can turn around. Really, we've gone from four four games unbeaten, eight points from four, those home draws added onto the. The wins against Hull and Stoke, everyone thought it was going quite well. Suddenly, we haven't won in three. Do those home draws look as good now on the back of the the QPR defeat? Um, I accidentally, I, I'm I, I, I'm not going to get get too too concerned. Um, I think for a relegation team, well, you know, a team was, we're we're obviously going to be one of the one of the relegation favourites. No winning three isn't the worst um, worst record in the world. Um, obviously, you, you, you've got to look at what's coming up, and I don't think it's doom mongering to suggest we could fail to pick up a, a point this month. Uh, if you look at some of the games we've got coming up now uh, in December, um, I think September to November is the, the kindest of the season, and December is, is by far the toughest. Um, the toughest we've got. I think January, January is going to be really vital in more ways than one. Um, I think realistically in January you're going to be, got to be looking for at least three wins, um, especially after if if we expect we're not going to get anything at all in December, you've got to look at least three wins. You've got um, got QPR and Pals at home and Newcastle and Sunderland away. So uh, realistically, you've got to be looking to go unbeaten and, and get three wins. I think on that. Um, following up that, you've got winnable home games against West Brom and Swansea in February. Um, although we've got some tough teams to play in March, um, three out of four at home. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's a concern, but I don't think it's a huge concern, especially when you look at, we've got some, a really good chance to, to pick up points in the second half of the season. I think uh, like January will be key because if we can get those results in, in January, confidence, confidence will, will be back up. Um and we've got some decent months to to carry it on then. But if we if we don't pick them up in January, then that could be the the end of the season, um, potentially. Is is the the worry not in that case then that that we've we've had some decent results in the last few weeks, but the, the next few games do look quite tough. Just to go through those: Southampton at home on Saturday, then it's Spurs away, isn't it? Liverpool at home on Boxing Day, Man City away. And then Newcastle away on New Year's Day. We're talking about the possibility of getting nothing from that run. 
that does mean we could get cut adrift at the bottom. And James, you were talking about the, the point against Newcastle looking like a better result after they beat Chelsea, but it's still the manner of the game where we were ahead and let, let it slip and going back even further to the Villa one, the chance to be able to win it at the end. I just feel like these might be games where we'll look back at the end of the season and maybe think we should have got a point or two more. Yeah, and I think we said maybe a month or so ago on the podcast that you know it could be at the end of the season. We look back to December and the results that didn't quite go our way coming into the month um, was the point where maybe we, we, we lost our opportunity to stay up because the game's coming up all really tough. Um, but I mean, from what we've seen of Liverpool this season, I think... You know, actually, that's a game where possibly we could pick something up. Um, you know, maybe more so than it looked a couple of months ago. Um, but you know, Spurs again. Actually, they're a hit and miss team, but it's always going to be difficult away. Um, and obviously, Man City, you might as well just sort of maybe even throw in the towel on that one now. But it's a it's a tough period we're going into, and um, it is disappointing that we couldn't, you know, put away our chances first half against Newcastle, last fifteen against Villa. Um, you know, maybe just at least got a point out of Saturday. Yeah, I think I just think it, it would have been asking a lot to win four on the bounce, and you don't normally expect teams at the bottom to do that. But I, the Villa game, I just keep going back to the chances that we missed at the end, and such a great chance to get a, a real morale booster as well against a, a team that we expect to be down there, although they've been better in the last few weeks and. The fact that we'd be behind and left it so late, I think that would have been massive. And then to go at QPR and lose on the back of those two draws, it just feels like the form's slipping a bit. But you're right, Liverpool at home doesn't necessarily have to be something that we give up on. Liverpool have been mixed at best. Southampton's form has slipped a little bit. We've got a chance of getting something on Saturday. And Spurs, Spurs away, we won at Stoke. Well, there's no reason why we can't win it at Spurs as well. So... Take the games in isolation, and I suppose they're not too daunting. It's when you look at them as a run of games and you start to worry where the next win's going to come from. Um, we'll leave the QPR game behind in a little while, but earlier today I spoke to QPR fan James Jones to find out what he thought of the game. Okay, so joining us now is James Jones, a QPR fan. I suppose from your point of view, it was the perfect result, really. It was a great result, yeah. Um, and on paper, it looked like our kind of home form is unstoppable and fortress Loftus Road and all that. But um, I actually didn't think we played particularly well. Um, and certainly in the first half, I thought, you know, you could have been out of sight and the whole atmosphere would have changed around the ground. Um, and thanks to Rob Green, we kind of stayed on level terms and then second half, we were a bit sharper. Um, but it was huge result because it means that we are you know, out of the relegation zone psychologically obviously important and we've got a pretty relatively decent run of home games coming up. So there's, you know, decent amount of optimism now. Why do you think it is that your home form's been so much better than your away form? Is it is it a mentality thing? I think it must be a mentality thing. And I think certainly from the fans' perspective, I mean Harry said it after the game as well, which was that when he first arrived a couple of years ago the relationship between the players and the fans was atrocious. And, you know, we really felt that they were mercenaries and we were right. You know, they were a bunch of people who were largely over the hill on too much money who couldn't really care less about QPR. You know, Basing were, Cissé, all these people. And there was just, there was very little connection between them and the fans. 
and that has been transformed. Um, you know, it's not to say the players are not still overpaid and some of them underperforming, but there is a genuine feeling now that these people want to be at QPR. They want to, you know, do well for the team um, and they're, they're giving it everything. So I think when they are at home, there's this new feeling and certainly that seems to be, tran you know, trans transferring across to the players, you know, against Man City a couple of weeks ago on the Saturday, uh, the atmosphere was, was great. And, you know, there was a real feeling that we, we don't need to be afraid of these people because, the, you know, we're doing well here. We're, we're, we're full of confidence, which is pretty extraordinary given how bad we are away from home. Um, and I guess the question is more, why are we so, so bad away from home? And I, I don't think even Harry knows. I think probably Harry's concluded we're not going to get much away from home anyway. And then once you once you got a run of losses, I suppose it just kind of, you know, gets worse and worse. We had a similar problem last time we were in the Premier League. I think we only took four points away all season, and yeah. it it does start to put a lot of pressure on the home form. So maybe QPR will see that later in the season. Um, on Saturday, what do you think was the difference between the two sides? Was it just that you took your chances in the second half, whereas we'd missed ours in the first? I think so. I, I do think it was that. I think we, we started quite brightly. And then as the half wore on, you were just, you were creating more chances, really. And, you know, Richard Dunn had a fantastic game. But Stephen Cole is, you know, not as good as he should be, really. And he leaves, he leaves gaps. Um, and in the second half, you know, just those few moments, our, our passing was just a bit sharper. And, you know, people like Vargas. Vargas had a pretty mixed game, I have to say. I think he just had a baby, so he, you know he, he looked a bit out of sorts. But you know, Isla Vargas, Charlie Austin, Fair, just that little bit of sharpness and quality made a, dif a difference at the key moments. And you know, Charlie Austin did absolutely FA all, all game. But then you know you can rely on him. I mean, I'd be curious. Was he was he like that with you? Did he do very little for long periods of the game and then just score goals? And was he? A, a little bit, yeah. I think um, his, his build-up play did come on quite a lot when he was uh, at Burnley. He was very raw when he first came, but he, he is pretty much a specialist finisher. He was involved in your first goal as well. I was going to ask you about Austin. Yeah. I suppose the only the bad point from the game was Austin sending off, I suppose, and you'll miss him for the next game. Yeah, but I mean, the next game's away at Everton, which we'll lose. You weren't going to get anything anyway. Rest up for... Palace, wherever it is, the week after, um, and yeah, so we weren't going to get anything. And he did actually. I thought he looked a bit knackered. He, he, his legs looked a bit heavy. You know, him and Zamora are never going to be the paciest combo up front. Um, but he, he, I thought he offered very little. He, the, 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 the set, pass for the goal was good, and you know, his 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 touch is sharp at the moment. But and his and his yeah, his, his he's got better at holding up the ball. I think when he first arrived but you know he doesn't offer that much and I think the problem with having Zamora up there is you know if you're just going to chip the ball up which is what we seem to do the whole first half to no avail you know and rely on Zamora to get a flick Charlie Austin's not really the striker you want running onto it um, so you know in a sense I think Zamora and Vargas might be a kind of more sensible pairing obviously we're not going to drop Charlie Austin but it's I don't know, I, th I feel like it's a pretty limited pairing and kind of limits the way we play football. Because actually when Cranchard came on and we were actually passing it around quite nicely. 
Yeah, it's, it is a funny one. When we had Austin, we found that he scored a lot of goals, but we seemed to be a better team when he wasn't actually playing. Yeah. And it, it, it's it's a funny one, but it's so difficult to leave out someone who scores that many goals. Yeah. Um, You've got four more goals than Wayne Rooney. There's three more goals than Rooney in the league, and now topping this goal scorer. But then you watch him, and if you just watch the whole match and analyse his play, he doesn't, yeah, he's... He's got a long way to go if he is going to be an England striker, I'd say. I suppose um, your, your chances are going to be heavily dependent on your home form now, but you must be quite confident of staying up now after Saturday's result. Do you think you do you think you're going to do it? Um, I'm yeah, I'm optimistic. I think there are a lot of bad teams around there, and you know what is it? It's up to kind of Villa. It's you know from. Hull to Villa, it's three points after 13. So, you know, it's looking good now, but, you know, I can't see us going the whole season without dropping back in. I think between now and New Year, those next three home games, which are all pretty winnable, if we can get at least two wins out of that, I think we'll, we'll be feeling pretty good. But then, you know, in the New Year, we've got a really hard run again. So it's just really important that we capitalise on it when we've got the chance, I guess. How, how about you? How are you feeling? I'm not sure really. Before the last couple of games, I was getting quite confident, but it it seems to turn around so quickly. I mean, Saturday was such a big game for us. Our our next few games into the new year are horrible, so I really felt like we had to get something at QPR. And the manner of the defeat, I felt, was quite disappointing as well. I didn't really think we once you got in front, we didn't really seem to to believe we were going to get anything. So I'm not sure, but I I agree with what you said. I think there's so many mediocre teams. There's every chance. Yeah. I, I thought that as well, because the first half, you know, it wasn't a great game. It was very scrappy, but you were getting chances. And then the weird thing was that you didn't react to the goal. Given this this was, you know, the ultimate six-pointer, you know, we, we were kind of there for the taking in a way. And it felt like there just wasn't a response. And to be honest, it wasn't that. Wor- I know you had a few chances in the second half as well, but it wasn't one of those games where you're thinking, you know, shit, they could, they could score at any moment. I kind of Maybe because you'd missed a chance in the first half, I felt like this might not be their day. But, you know, it was it was a slightly odd atmosphere as well because because it was such a big game for both of us. You know, I felt like it didn't, didn't feel like it had that much riding on it. It was just kind of a bit of a scrappy game that, you know, petered out. Um, so, yeah, I guess hard to know what conclusions to draw. But, you know, I think both, both of us are capable of of going on a run of a couple of wins, but equally, you know, against better teams, I think it's damage limitation a lot of the time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for that, and good luck for the rest of the season, although obviously yeah. not, not too much luck, because we'll probably need to stay above you if we're going to stay up. Yeah, well, yeah, same to you. Good luck within... Well, let's hope we both stay up. That'd be nice. So that was QPR fan James Jones. Um, interesting stuff as ever QPR and Burnley are probably going to be two teams down at the bottom so we'll probably check in again with James later in the season to see how it's getting on um, just before we recorded the podcast tonight there was the FA Cup draw Burnley were drawn at home to Spurs which a year ago would have probably been quite a big draw for Burnley but now it's it's not that exciting I love the FA Cup the others on the podcast are not, aren't that bothered about it because they're, they're young and don't understand the magic of the cup but, yeah, I, I was looking forward to it. Spurs at home, I think it's a bit of a disappointment. Um, you never really want to play someone in the same league, do you, James? Especially when we've got Spurs 
in a couple of weeks, it's it doesn't stand out from the fixture list anymore. Yeah, it's it is disappointing to get someone in the same week. But I guess when you're in the Premier League, actually almost all of the ties aren't really that great because you don't really want to play someone lower down and and get knocked out. So I don't. I think it's definitely a more exciting competition to be in when you're in the Championship and you know you've got the magic of uh, knocking out one of the bigger sides or you know particularly if you're in leagues one and two where you can really cause an upset. I think as a, a lower half Premier League team, it is a bit sort of. I don't know, dull compared to what it used to be, just because of the reality of where you are. You don't want to tie your players out with something that realistically is not, you know, not great. And um, and obviously, yeah, to play a side like Spurs, you know, there's a chance that you know there's every chance of winning it, but um, you don't really get, I think, the same magic, especially since we would have played them um, two weeks earlier. I uh, I think like you kind of alluded it, um, alluded, alluded to it. Um... There is like when you're in a position like Burnley have been for the the last like few years. There's there's actually a very limited number of teams that you can get drawn against that would actually make a really good cup cup tie. Um, I think it's almost like constantly disappointing um, cup tie, cup draws. Um, so that maybe that's why I don't like it, Jamie. It's uh, it's not because it's really boring and long and convoluted and there are a load of VTs that you don't actually want to watch on TV. Um, and you just want them to get on with it. Um, maybe it's just because we'll, we'll never be happy as fans. Well, I'm going to disagree because I think actually with some of the from some of the games I've enjoyed most in, in the last maybe um, three four years have actually been 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 home games, uh, sorry, cup games against lower league teams. I, I I really I really enjoy playing these the lower league teams who you who you, you don't play against. Uh, I think it offers something different. Um, I find I find it exciting. I think um, I've just seen Jackie Otley on Twitter um, suggested that she said the only thing I'd change about the FA Cup draw is that you can't draw a team from the same division unless it's no option. Um, and I think I'd, I think that'd be a really I think it'd be a good idea because I, I, you, you can say that lower league teams maybe drawing someone like Plymouth or someone like that might be unexciting, but to me it's much more exciting than getting Tottenham. I think. Just if once you when you join another Premier League team and another team in the, in the same league, it's just it's just so boring. It it, it it's it's not different. It's not exciting. I think that's that's what the cup is to me. It's, it's playing somebody different. It's 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 that total relief from from the everyday stresses and worries of the league. It's it's getting away from that. And when you're playing another Premier League team, it's. Yeah, who, who, I, I don't care. But the the kind of expectation when you when you play these lower league teams is that you'll do really well, and I don't I can't really remember us doing like being really comprehensively good against one of these lower teams. We we oh, hammered but, but Canvey Island. We hammered Canvey Island once. He had more than a hat trick. He, he <laughs> found his exciting, level that though. game. I think it's exciting to be rubbish against a team that you should be good against. Is that what you're saying? Is it, when you put it that way, that sounds ridiculous. But I, I, I've always found that's exactly really... what you said though. Well, it is, but I found him excited. I found I found him really entertaining. I've I've been a few games. I, I was going to sit. There's been hardly anyone there. I've gone to sit and sat in the Bob Lord stand behind the dugout, and it's just been it's been. I think it's been exciting. There's a few of them went to went to penalty shootouts, and it was really long nights. Quite usually, a few goals, and yeah, we we, we were nowhere near as up to our best, but it, it was a decent game, and I I enjoyed it. And I think it's it's nice to go to a game, um, and and not have that that. Oh, that stress of the league where you know if you lose a league game it's a big blow whereas 
I think almost in the cup, it's uh, you can go and enjoy it a little bit more yeah. and not get you're not biting your teeth, biting your nails as much, and it's not as, as stressful. And I think you can you can just go and enjoy it. There's, that's how I like, that's how I see it. There's like a, a lot of talk about how the the FA Cup is irrelevant and it doesn't really matter, but maybe that's why it's that, that's why it's interesting. If if you're saying that, Kevin, then that the the very reason why it is interesting and entertaining is because is it doesn't actually really matter. Yeah, I think that's true, and I think obviously our focus is going to be on the league. And although Dash isn't really known for rotation, I'd be surprised if we played our strongest side in the Spurs game. I think it'll come. It's a really good opportunity to take a look at some of the squad players, especially the timing of the FA Cup. It comes right on the back of the, the ridiculously busy Christmas. It's difficult to expect teams to be up for a cup game as well. But I think when you play a low league team, you get the jeopardy of it as well. It's that banana skin thing. It means that they're going to be all, all raising the, the game for what they see as a, a really big match and a chance to impress. Remember when we played Bournemouth in the FA Cup at Turf Moor and we signed three of their players on the back of it because even though we won quite comfortably, the players stood out enough and, and that game led us to Wade Elliott, which led us to promotion to the Premier League. So these little things might not seem like much at the time, but they can turn out to be very significant further down the road. And I think the FA Cup is a, it's a change of pace. It's a a change from, as Kevin says, the, the stress of the Premier League where you're always worrying about where your next point's going to come from, whether you're going to be able to stay up. And I think it's a nice change. And I'm a bit disappointed to have Spurs at home because I, I would have rather played a lower league team because, firstly, you've got more chance of getting through and having a bit of a cup run. And, and secondly, because it, it's always good to play these, these teams that you don't get to play very often, even if we'd been away probably get to to a ground that you haven't been to before, somewhere you haven't been to for a long time. Could have gone somewhere like Preston away, that'd have been good fun, but Spurs at home it's just a bit of a a bit of a meta, I think. It's probably one of the worst ones we could have got. It's just just a shame. Yeah, that lower league team Preston, remember them. We are superior. Remember Preston. Uh, we'll look ahead to Southampton now then. The next game for Burnley on Saturday at Surf Mall. They've got quite a lot of injuries at the moment, Southampton. Um, and the form's dropped off. We, we're actually doing the podcast just before they play Manchester United on Monday Night Football, so we can't really take that into account because we can't tell the future. But they've lost three of their last game. They've lost all three of their last games after that starts of the season. So they have dipped a little bit. Um, and with the injuries they've got, James, this is probably a really good chance to play them. Um, yeah, it's probably as good a time to, to play them as any. You know, if if, if you've got injuries... I think that's really when you want to see a side who are you know doing as well as Southampton are. I think they've had a really interesting season though with the Welsh. I think pretty much everyone wrote them off before the start of the season for how many players they'd sold to Liverpool, uh, and the two sides have pretty much sort of swapped places in the league. So um, you know they're off to a good start, but I think any team's beatable. Um, you know, particularly as um, any team at, at Turf Moor. I think Turf Moor is actually a tough place to go and. Teams don't like going there, um, even though the, the crowd's maybe not as hostile as it has been in the past. Um, but really, I think this is our last opportunity for a couple of weeks to to get a point. Um, so I think we really need to, to snatch that and, and try and get free if we can, but uh, just really not lose. I think um, our home form has been quite good of late. Obviously, we, we beat Hull and two home draws, so... I'm reasonably confident that we can get something, even though Southampton are so far up the league. Just mention their injuries. 
According to physioroom.com, they've got seven players out in the minute. Six of them are really important players as well. There's no Tadic, he's their main playmaker. Obviously, Jay Rodriguez hasn't come back from his injury yet. There's also a lot of midfield players like Schneiderlin's going to be injured, apparently. James Ward Prowse is injured. And, and Jack Cope's going to miss the game. So they're going to struggle to put a really strong team out. And I think, like when Newcastle came to the turf last week, Kev, it's. It surely gives us a much better chance when they're going to be so weakened. Um, it does, yeah. Um, and I, I, like GM said, I think Turf Moor is a is a hard place to come to. And I think we we have that we have our run of good form just the right time because I think if we'd gone a month further, um, the, the the crowd at Turf could have maybe dropped the, the morale of the Turf might have dropped a little bit too far. Um, but now we've had that, that good run. It's give us a, a probably which should hopefully anyway give the, give the crowd that, that a bit of a boost um, just at the right time and that could last 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 a little bit longer. Um, Southampton, obviously, I think when you've got players out, it, it, it can go one of two ways. One, you can, the players can think accept that this is a, a weakened team and that can maybe affect morale. But on the other, on the other hand, players can come in and want to want to impress and and want to. Keep keep their place in the team, so that could potentially uh, raise their individual performance. So it can go one of one of one of the other way. I think. Yeah, Tadic is playing tonight against Man United, so physio rooms information is incorrect. But um, they do seem to be almost down to the bare bones. Their bench for for this game against Man United is pretty weak. It seems to be mostly youngsters. But the starting eleven is still not bad. They've still got England internationals, Forster and Klein and, and Bertrand and good players like Wanyama and Pella. So it's not like they're going to be a walkover. It's just I think we've got to see it as a, as a really good opportunity, especially ahead of the other difficult games we've got coming up. And I think we, we should use the, the recent results at home as a, as a good platform. We shouldn't see Southampton as, as too daunting. Um just to, to mention Sam Volks, we seem to talk about Sam Volks' injury rehabilitation every week. He's apparently going to play 90 minutes for the development squad uh, this week, but Dash still isn't expecting him to be available for the first team at the weekend. He can't be that far away. James, do you still think, we think he may be about the new year for Volks, or is there a chance of seeing him over the festive period, do you think? Uh, it's, hard, it's hard to say. Uh you know he's playing in the, you know in the in the development games, but he, he's probably one of those ones you don't really want to rush him back to to top flight football too soon, especially when you know he's making the step up and you're probably concerned about uh, confidence issues if you can't get a goal uh, quickly, and you're also obviously talking about you know is his knee really ready for a game where he's going to put himself about more than he will in the development games? I know obviously he's he's probably playing hard in the development games. But he's not going to have the same desire to to win as you would do in a in a Premier League game. But at the same time, maybe you know with the fixture congestion around that you get around Christmas, maybe that sees an opportunity to you know at least get him on the bench, maybe give him twenty minutes here or there. Um, so I think really it could probably go either way. Um, I sort of feel for the same. I think I've said all along that I don't think he'll be anywhere near the squad until he's played at least two games of 90 minutes um, for the development squad. That's what I think. Um, I think when, when, once, he, once he does get on the bench, he might have, um, he'll probably play 
<laughs> pull up a, come on for two minutes, which is actually quite a long time for a for a, a Sean Dyche substitution to come on and play. But uh, also, uh, Volks Volks will be well used to coming on for two minutes because for his first season at the club, that's yeah. all he ever used to do. So yeah, but I think it will probably come on in injury time for for one or two games, and then maybe get five minutes in a game. And I think we'll I think we will ease him in really slowly, and it might be. Um, maybe maybe the end of January even before he's getting a really prolonged run um, in the t- in the team. Never mind, never mind starting games. Well, that is about all we've got time for on this week's podcast. As always, if you've got any feedback or want to say nice things about the podcast, please do get in touch. The email address is podcast at never dot net and you can also tweet us at net. Please get in touch if you want to come on the podcast as well. We're always looking for for new guests to come on. Uh, just one final piece of housekeeping as well. The Player of the Month vote for November is still open. You've got a couple of days to get your votes in before we announce it. Um, various ways you can vote for Player of the Month. The, the main one is the poll on the site, but you can also vote through Twitter. Um, use the hashtag POTM on your tweets to register your votes through there. And finally, also, thanks, as always, to our sponsors at Neville G. We couldn't do the podcast or the site without them. So I've been Jamie Smith. Guests this week have been James, Kevin and Adam, and we will be back next week. Goodbye. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.